Hello everyone, it's Fahed from Audiobookish. We've got a really special guest today. Uh, Poppy, would you like to introduce our guest? Yes, hi everyone. So we're really lucky today. We've got Rebecca Fortain with us. Rebecca is Edmont Books and HQMB's Senior Audio Editor with an ear for innovative production and a dedication to representing all voices in her audio publishing. Every Sunday, she posts advice for publishing hopefuls on her blog and has a semi-professional Twitter account at TWA2Becky, which includes a worrying amount of fire-based GIFs. Okay, uh, thank you for agreeing to do the interview with us. Rebecca, how are you? I'm good, yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, I think this is my first... No, this is my second podcast. Um, and I like them because you get to have your videos off, which makes me <laughs> <you> very happy. <laughs> yeah, I think it's... Yeah, so a lot of podcasts do have videos on them because a lot of them, a lot of people put their podcast up onto YouTube. But I just find it really unnecessarily intrusive. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's kind of like you don't. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, I think it. No, it I work in audio for a reason that I do not want to be in front of a screen. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a whole long list of questions. The first question we'd like to um, ask you is. What makes a good audiobook? Hands down, the narrator. It's mm. all down to the narrator. It doesn't matter like how much additional post production you do, uh, if you've got like music design, like all that stuff is just extra. If you've got a great narrator, you've got a great audiobook. And the biggest part of my role is making sure that each book has the right narrator for that book um and somebody who really gets the essence of the story and the characters um and can really capture the tone of the book and bring it out in audio um so yeah always be the narrator um if you have a narrate good narrator they can save a not so good recording <laughs> but if you have a excellent recording it can be ruined by um a narrator that just isn't the right fit for that book yeah, definitely. And I think with it, especially how we kind of browse audiobooks and stuff like that, it's that little preview button, isn't it? And so you're not going to hear all the extra added, you know, if there's fancy music and sound effects and all sorts of things in there. You're not going to necessarily hear that in that little snippet. What you are going to hear is that narrator and what they're saying to you. And yeah, that's definitely going to be the hook in and then also yeah, the experience while you're, while you're doing it. So I'd agree with you on that. I was just thinking with you saying about that being one of the main parts of your job, um, you've written a, a, a really great blog with your week in the life, kind of taking us through the sorts of things that you do. Um, but for people who might be listening and, and haven't seen that yet, don't don't know who you are, could you explain sort of the main responsibilities of of being a senior audio editor? Oh goodness, um, this is why I wrote the blog because yeah. every time <laughs> I get asked that question, I'm just like. Um, and every time my mum like tries to remember what I do I'm just like I give up I just <laughs> you're never gonna understand it's very much I guess the best way uh, to describe it is you're sort of part project manager part casting mm -hmm. director um nice. and that I look after all the elements of the audio book but I don't do the bits that you would assume that I do because of my title mm -hmm. so having editor in the name is really confusing because I don't actually edit the audiobook that's someone's full-time job they're very very good at it I would not have the patience to edit audiobooks every single day um I can't sit still that long mm -hmm. um so yeah it's all sort of connecting all the other bits together so uh 
speaking to the studios, speaking to voice agents, getting scripts delivered on time from the editorial teams, making sure that whatever we're doing with the audio aligns with what the marketing team are doing with the overall Mm -hmm. campaign, that the author is happy with what we're doing with the audio book, making sure everyone's on the same page. Um, And then as well, like finding unique ways to promote the audio edition. Um, And so much admin in between Mm. all that. Well, I think that's a fabulous answer and it sounds like an amazing job. So, yeah. I, I love what I do. Um, yeah, so just kind of following on from that. So I was listening to uh, another interview that you did or a, another video that you were on and you you were kind of mentioning, you were talking about kind of little incidents that you kind of had to deal with kind of during the pandemic. And um, you mentioned that you, you had to kind of purchase cupboards for some of your actors um narrators to kind of um work in to to record the audiobook so i was just wondering what what um what cupboards what brand brand of cupboards did you buy for your narrators on this that's kind of like a trade secret so i didn't have to buy it but um we had a basically a very proactive brilliant actor um who when suddenly all the studios close overnight following the announcement um he does a lot of audiobooks so he just ordered himself an ikea wardrobe i think he set it up (laughs) in his bathroom um and was just recording from that and it sounded actually really great and it definitely helped me out because i had a month's worth of recordings to basically within a week find new homes for um Mm and hope that most of the narrators that I was going to work with had home studios I had to unfortunately um like recast one of the roles because the person that I had cast had no access to a studio or a home studio that they could access safely um thankfully I was able to recast them in a different project later in the year when the studios were back open um And then there was a series narrator who was desperately trying to set up something in her home, but she lived in a, like a big apartment building. Um, And no matter how much she soundproofed her room, she was getting so much feedback noise from the flats around her. Um, And I was like, Oh no, because you are like my series and series for two of my authors and they won't be happy if it's not you. Um, but thankfully she lives very, very close to a studio and when studios were allowed to open again, um, she was in safe walking distance. But yeah, that first week after the announcement was not fun in the slightest. Mm. <laughs> um, but people have been really like adaptable and resilient. Like the studios have gone above and beyond with their guidelines. They, I mean, they were on it before lockdown um, because, you know, everybody uses their voice in small spaces with audiobooks. So like a cough at any yeah. time is like not great for a narrator um sickly about cough turns into a deadly pandemic um, mm. yes. <laughs> um but yeah so they've been really really great at making sure the studios are really safe um and that people can still come in and work because like the whole acting industry has really taken a hit because like Mm. there's only so much you can do safely at the moment um and it's actually those who already were established in audio have found that they've got another avenue that they can work in during this time um 
yes, we had loads of narrators who already had home studios and then people who were setting up home studios. Yeah, so it's it's actually, it's been pretty smooth since. Like the only major difference is the fact that I can't go into the studios at the moment. It's very much essential staff only, uh, which is the producer and the uh, narrator. Um, but I do dial in on occasion and sort of dial in and listen in on Zoom, which isn't quite the same as being in the studio, but you still get some of that element of it as well. Yeah, I was just, it was one of the, the questions that I'd thought of with you talking about all those different people that are involved and that need to go into the studio and stuff like, stuff like that, such a variety of roles. Um, do you kind of have the opportunity to get to learn from your colleagues and kind of find out more about what each other's doing or is it very much everyone's in their own separate little little world and and it's yeah a no-go zone (laughs) I feel with like publishing it's really down to the individuals so in my Mm -hmm. first role I had the most amazing manager I love her to pieces I'm still really Mm -hmm. close with her um and she really encouraged me to like always take every opportunity and Mm -hmm. to have like catch-ups with people and get to know people and what they do and basically just find out as much as possible and it was really really great advice for me because I'm um most people are surprised when I say this but I'm a massive introvert Mm. um so yeah having that push like when I was just starting out my career has been really beneficial and um people like really want to know what audio is because it is such a small part of publishing uh and then in return you get to talk to people about all the amazing stuff that they do Mm. um and I'm very much like I'll be up for anything I've joined um our sales team in pitching projects to um some of the retailers that we work with Mm. I've helped out on publicity campaigns marketing campaigns um I saw that you were doing some videos at the yes. moment so yeah oh yeah that was I that was one of the things that I volunteered myself for and then immediately arrested so I'm <laughs> incredibly squeamish and I I don't do well with any any gore at all and we have this brilliant new uh crime series that's kind of been described it's got a kind of like silence of the lambs type vibes um in the relationship between the detective and the serial killer but it's also like that level of grim um, mm-hmm. and I volunteered myself to edit videos of people reacting um to certain parts of the book and then adding in the audio on top of it and the concept was really fun and really cool and it wasn't until I started editing that I realized I was going to have to listen to these really gory scenes over and over and over again yeah. as I was editing it was like I remember and I was like I regret that I regret this one. <laughs> oh dear it's kind of changing tack just a little bit um going back to your blogging your audio book reviews we're just starting out in the podcast reviewing audiobooks and one of the questions we'd like to ask is kind of what is your process when you're reviewing an audiobook? What are the things that you're looking at in terms of judging whether or not it's good or bad or in between? So I've decided that I'm only ever gonna write good reviews. There's just too much negativity in yeah. like the space where I feel like if I'm going to write a review, it's going to be something that I've enjoyed. If I don't enjoy something, I'm not going to write a review about it. Um, mm-hmm. Especially because like, now that I work within publishing, I see a lot of authors that get tagged in these horrible reviews. And it's just like, 
you're, it's completely fine to dislike something, but don't then loop in the author so that yeah. they click it and they see it. Like, that's horrible. <laughs> um, so yeah, I decided I was only ever going to write positive reviews. So yeah, the main thing I look for is like, do I love it? And because I work in audio, like the things that are draw me to a audiobook outside of like the content of the writing itself are stuff like how good a fit was the narrator of the story um how much did I connect with the narrator what was the production like had it been beautifully edited together were there any nice little uh easter eggs that I thought was just really nice little extra all the things I look to make sure that my own audiobooks have and those are the things that I enjoy. So yeah, if I enjoy it, it gets a review. <laughs> it's quite funny you mentioning only doing positive reviews. So I've got another podcast where I review graphic novels and I ask for um, uh, submissions from creators. And I had a look at the artwork for this one comic and the artwork looked great and then decided to review it. And then weeks beforehand, so we're going to, you know, the next episode is going to be about this, uh, this comic. It looks like it's great art. And then when we actually finished reading it it was it, it wasn't it wasn't all that good and we'd already tagged the author in saying that we were reviewing his book so it was just kind of a little bit awkward situation when you actually release the episode saying yeah it wasn't it wasn't all that it wasn't all that good um so yeah it's kind of a maybe a, a good idea to pre-screen the books that that you're going to be looking at i suppose yeah and as well because for me the blog is purely for fun and being in publishing I'm lucky enough to be on NetGalley as a professional reviewer which means I just see what the other publishers put up uh, and then get it for free (laughs) so I'll like I'll always leave something on NetGalley because that's the whole point like if you get a review copy you write something on NetGalley even if you don't like it um you provide you know constructive criticism so yeah I very much don't know until the morning that I write it what I'm going to be writing about and it's normally something I finished the night before so I'm very much safe from (laughs) accidentally getting in hot water with an author Yeah, you learned an important lesson that I've had, I think, um, with that one. Um, but yeah, I have a, a similar thing as well, So because I started a, an Instagram review page thing, and yeah, I decided I only wanted to, to write about stuff that I liked. A similar thing to you, Rebecca, in that it was, I mean, partly just human decency if you don't want to be being nasty on the internet, but also having some work experience in a publishing house um, and especially an independent publishing house. I mean, I'm sure it will still also affect, you know, the bigger ones. But one of my jobs was looking for reviews that people had done of the books um, by uh, and other stories who I was working for. I saw you mentioned on one of your blogs. They're fabulous. And yeah, I was looking through these reviews and you see firsthand the impact that this kind of thing can have. And when I was thinking up starting my reviews, I was like, yeah, I don't want to put anything out there that will discourage someone who might like it from reading the book just because they read my negative review of it so yeah can I keep it all positive is uh is nice yeah and I think as well not everybody who writes reviews understands like what goes behind each Mm. title and often authors will be pulled up on something that is completely outside of their control um or there'll be a load of negative reviews because there's like an issue on the retailer site and Mm. yeah it's just it's massively unfair and I'm like if you don't enjoy something and you want to let people know that you didn't enjoy it that that's fine and that's very fair because that's how you 
like decipher how to um buy things but like mm. if your criticism is I, I read one the other day uh that they were complaining there wasn't enough Colin Morgan in, in the audiobook which <laughs> you know I kind of agree with because he's got a gorgeous voice but like it's such a silly thing to <laughs> negatively review on and you don't mention anything at all about the rest of the whole thing and it's a shame because like you're dissing the project of the actor that you enjoy <laughs> mm, yeah very good point so you say about one of the things that you look for is how good the narrator is. I'm aware it's probably going to be a difficult question to answer, but what kind of things makes a narrator good, either as you know a listener to an audiobook or working with them? If someone's listening to this and looking to get into audiobook narration, what can they do to make the people that they work for go, oh, we love them, let's have them back for the next project? I think for me, what makes a good narrator is someone that just loves what they're reading. Yeah. And you can very much tell like if somebody really loves audiobooks as a process they're gonna be a good narrator or if they connect with a particular book they're gonna deliver a really amazing performance so I'm just gonna completely embarrass her now but one of my favorite narrators is the really lovely Kristen Atherton and I think what makes her so good is that she puts her heart in everything that she does like I know if I give her a book she is going to really prep it She's going to give it a lot of thought. She's going to ask me any questions about stuff that she's unsure about. And she consistently delivers amazing performances because of that level of care. And where she particularly shines are the books where she really connects with the story. So she loves YA fantasy, mm-hmm. which I do too. Mm-hmm. Um, and she read for me my all-time favourite book, which is How's Moving Castle. And for whatever reason, that book had never been produced as an unabridged audio book. There was an abridged edition, which made me very sad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then in 2019, I got the chance to do the full length version. Mm -hmm. Uh, Literally, dream come true. And I was just like, it has to be Kristen because she's my favorite narrator and I know she'll do a good job. And the reviews on it are so insanely good. I think she's got something like a 4.9 average. Wow. And there's hundreds of reviews on that. And there's so many people that name her specifically of just saying what an incredible job she's done. And that book has a lot of fans, like a Mm. lot of dedicated fans that have loved that book for a very long time. And to be able to win them all over is an impressive feat. Definitely. I kind of got a few things that I want to talk about on that I will let the head ask some questions I promise <laughs> I was wondering um about how you managed to get that sort of like were you working for somewhere that already had the rights did you have to go and source the rights and things like that and then also kind of leading on to that idea of adapting something that people have already loved obviously a load of films and a lot of often really great films get slated because the people have studied the book for so long just think they're too different so yeah I think we should talk a bit about that kind of adapting. Uh, stuff and and how you feel about that but yes how did you get your dream project to happen I was just really lucky that's basically (laughs) it um so yeah I so I joined HarperCollins the end of 2018 because it was like it was a great uh sort of step up in my career and it wasn't so much about like the books that I'd be working on it was very much more about like the opportunities and Mm -hmm. trying something new so that was never a factor but I did (laughs) constantly bring it up all the time <laughs> um to our children's editor and I was just like it's so weird it's so weird that there isn't an unabridged version of this book I would love to do that um and 
unfortunately, she got quite ill at the start of 2019. So I was covering some of her titles while she was on leave and just remembered how much I love children's audio, Mm -hmm. um, which kind of cemented a really great relationship with it both because... You know, I had been there and covering her work when she was off and thankfully she's much better now. So when it was mentioned that out of the blue, the estate of Diana Wynne-Jones wanted an unabridged edition made in audio and they were just going to give us the rights because we previously published the abridged version. I just emailed her straight away and it's like, you have got to let me do this. You have got to let me do this. Like, I know it's not my imprint. I know it's not my job, but you have got to let me do this. And she's like, I can't say no to you. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then, oh God, it was just, for me, it was very easy to adapt because I'm a hardcore fan of that mm-hmm. book. I love it. I knew exactly like how to pronounce all the made up words because we yeah. did a pronunciation list and sent it to the estate and they were happy with everything. And they were happy with the sort of breakdowns I'd given each of the characters, mm-hmm. uh, which very, from a fan perspective, was massive validation that the estate yeah. was like, yeah, you put that spot on. And I came along to recording even though I knew I wasn't needed because <laughs> Kristen's a professional she's done hundreds of audiobooks and she didn't need me there but I was just like I'm gonna be there because I love it I just have to be here so yeah for me it was just like it was just a proper dream all the way through Kristen's a massive fan of the book as well and she's very much in that space so it was just yeah it was easy to adapt because I loved it so much but I can definitely see the challenges of trying to adapt to beloved um, property or a beloved title when you yourself aren't so connected to the source material and even when you are people are going to have complaints like when yeah. Neil Gaiman adapted his own book Good Omens <laughs> into a tv series there were some people that were just horrified by yeah. it like that was his book though that he wrote with his very close friend like yeah. He's allowed to adapt it in any way he wants. So yeah, like some people are never going to be happy. I think we just lucked out that what I had in mind and my vision seemed to win over everyone that's listened to it so far. Uh, And of course, Grissom's amazing narration. Yeah, sounds amazing. And I completely get you. And and with the Good Omens one, and I see a lot with the Sky adaptations of the Discworld books and stuff, which, you know, Terry was massively involved in. And yet you still get people say he wouldn't have wanted that. It's like, he was actually there and said it was okay. But um, (laughs) and and stuff like that. But yeah, great job with with what you did with that. Because yeah, it seems that everyone loves it. Thank you. Yeah, so my next question was basically, are there any other unabridged books or you know what's your kind of next dream project that you'd love to work on I'm actually currently working on my like a dream project um so it's coming out in May and it's called you'll get through this night and essentially the author of it Daniel Howe is somebody that I've watched I think since I was like 16 so he's a big youtuber did a lot of content on YouTube before moving into radio and other stuff. And he's always been someone that I admired and someone I really wanted to work with. And I've been involved in that book from like the acquisition stage. And we're recording it very soon. And yeah, that's my current dream project. And one that's kind of like hasn't really sunk in that I'm working on it. But um, it's going to be really cool. And I cannot wait for it to come out and for people to listen to it. That sounds um, really exciting. <laughs> Yeah. So um, I was reading about that you worked on the audiobook for This Lovely City Mm -hmm. and that it had original music 
that was created for it um, and partly just kind of be interesting if you want to tell us about that but I was also specifically wondering do books need to have music sort of in the plot like that one does for it to get considered for having music in there or is it something that can be considered beyond that as just enhancing the audio experience is that something that you think is growing maybe in popularity how does that work currently in in audio so this is why I love working with children's books because Mm. children are like open to anything you can do so much for children's book you can go so out there you can throw all the bells and whistles and they will just love it try and do that with an adult book you get so many comments of like Mm. what is this why did you do that I just wanted my book (laughs) yeah so yeah as I like rule of thumb we tend to like not do music on books Mm -hmm. occasionally if it's something really creepy and that's for Atmospheric. That's the word. (laughs) This is why I publish audiobooks and don't narrate them. Um, (laughs) Then we'll do like a really nice sort of little piece to Mm -hmm. bring in the audiobook. We won't really do anything in the body of the text because we don't want, one, we don't want to distract from the author's work because that's the most important thing. Um, And two, Adult listeners aren't quite as open as children's mm. listeners. But for this lovely city, because it was such a richly illustrative writing style, it was very mm. much set in the heart of London during the arrival of the Windrush generation and years following. And the lead character, Laurie, is a clarinet player in a jazz band. And the atmosphere was so integral to the story that it felt right to bring that out in the audio by having music so we got an original piece composed and we did like a little bit of the piece on the opening credits and then we pulled out stings for each chapter to just run under the chapter number Mm. Um, and then we had the full piece right at the end so you could hear all uninterrupted and it worked because that was a kind of like really descriptive book where people are going in to be not just entertained by the story but lost in the entire world yeah. and the pictures that the author's creating yeah so that's normally what the consideration is when we do it with adult books is it going to add to the atmosphere and does it mm-hmm. work with what readers are wanting to experience when they pick this title so yeah generally we don't do a lot in adult books but in children's mm-hmm. books it's a whole other thing and yeah yeah, I love doing music for children's books because you can just go completely out there yeah. and they love it and it's free. I love that. That's, that's fascinating. Thank you for, for telling me all that. And I completely agree with you. I love children's audio. That's how I got into it when I was a child, but also still listen to them now, either re-listening to my old favourites that tend to do that same sort of thing with music and sound effects and brilliant stuff like that. And also newer ones, because why not? Kids' books are just books that kids can love too, not only them. So yeah. And I think that's really interesting. And I sort of, I understand why people just want to go there for the book. But I also love times when, yeah, the audiobook is really about this audio experience. Um, pushes the boat out a little bit and gets a bit fancy with it. Yeah, and I think for that to really work, though, it has to be a book that can lean Definitely. into that world. Yeah, of course. Um, and those are the ones where it's really successful as well, because the text itself lends itself to the audio format. Mm. And it just meshes so much better with the story and the audience and just ends up with something really fun as a listener to enjoy and as an editor to work on. Mm. 
So I was at the the Hoffis kind of like a book fair online event they were doing and they had a audio book session and they were talking about how, you know, some of the innovations that they experiment with, a lot of them are in children's fiction, so things like 3D audio and one of the speakers was talking about the next kind of project that they're working on is with the new generation of headphones that have like gyroscopes in them so if you kind of like nod your head or shake your head it'll kind of like take you to like down a different part in the story so i was just wondering if there's any um kind of interesting effects that you've particularly enjoyed working on i know one of the books that poppy's talked about in our pilot episode was um mr gum mm-hmm. and kind of like shouting the words out at different at different um volumes to kind of like bring that um kind of effect on the page uh, for me it's 3d audio i love I love 3D audio and it's very, very hard to do well um, on extended pieces of audio. So you tend to find it's only on very short pieces that you have 3D audio. And basically it's recorded in a way that it feels like the sound is coming from different directions. Like it can sound like someone's whispering right in your ear. It can sound like somebody's on the other side of the room. And it's just like that next level of immersion that I really, Mm. really love. But it's hard to get it done right with sort of like a textbook. So when I was at Penguin, my manager did a 3D audio version of James and the Giant Peach. And there were some really fun effects in there. And there were some nice little elements where it was like a fun little edition. But when a story is so narrative, when it's written as a book format, it doesn't get the full effects of the technique. And I feel like you really have to write something for audio for that to work. And that's what almost Tangible do. So they are a uh, 3D audio production company and it's full immersion audio. It's written, produced, directed with 3D audio in mind. And that's where it works. Um, But it's also very expensive to do it like Mm. that, which is why it's not commonplace in audiobooks at the moment. But that's the great thing about audio is because audio is such a digital form of telling stories, Mm -hmm. it can evolve with technology. So I think, yeah, give it a couple of years and we'll be seeing quite a few 3D audiobooks available commercially and people expecting that more often. And what I'm really looking forward to is books written in audio as opposed to just doing straight reads of existing books Mm. because mainly it's a selfish reason that (laughs) there's so much more you can do when it's intended for audio oh definitely and that is that is fascinating i'm definitely excited about getting more with you saying about how it's getting so much more digital one of the things i was wondering about with you know the kids audiobooks that i love i obviously have a lot of them on cd that was how i came to them and i keep hold of them and i love them (laughs) um what's happening with with audios and CDs at the moment, I saw that you'd worked on the actual CD publishing before. Yeah, what's sort of happening with that? Do you see any sort of resurgence? Are, are publishers thinking about the accessibility issues of just purely being digital? You know, the kind of cost-wise, people don't necessarily have smartphones and the ease of libraries is a lot easier with CDs and etc. What's kind of going on around CDs and audio at the moment? 
So on the accessibility front, you actually have massive uh, audio publishers that work solely in the library space mm-hmm. and places like the Royal National Institute for the Blind. Yeah, they have their own audio libraries with titles available, and they will make stuff available in a accessible format. So if that is for an older listener, um, and that's having audio on CD or downloading audio onto a tablet and sending it to them, that still happens and that's never going to go away so yeah commercially cds are becoming less of a thing Mm -hmm. because like i mean how many laptops nowadays come with a cd drive yeah it's not standard anymore no and you can borrow from libraries diligently now on like library apps so like commercially it will become less and less of a thing as cds in general become less and less of a thing i mean it's still a thing like there's still a good percentage of the audiobook market that works with cds young children's cds mm-hmm. are great because if you still have like cd players in your car which a lot of parents do it's great to have on car journeys for your kids and having just something you know always there to keep them entertained and older listeners as well like the technology is really baffling if you haven't grown up with it Mm. so like certain brands uh, like Stephen Fry for example they'll still be put into CD editions because there is that older audience there that would much rather have a CD than trying to figure out Audible or Apple Books or something like that (laughs) yeah definitely so just kind of um, a side question to that so one of my favorite podcasts is No Such Thing as a Fish and what they did was they made a cassette tape, but it was actually a, a USB containing a season of episodes on there. So I was just wondering if you think kind of like gimmicks like that would potentially have a place in the future for kind of audiobook in terms of like having exclusive editions or things of that nature. Uh, not a USB from a commercial publisher's front, because that is so easy to distribute to so many people and it basically opens us up to being pirated Mm. super quickly. Yeah. Which is why it's for a long time it's been really hard to do audiobook proof copies because of how easy it is to share audio files. And thankfully NetGalley now has the option of us sending out proofs in a way that people can download it onto their phone to listen to. But once we remove it from the site, it gets removed from their phone um, on the NetGalley app. Um, I mean, it depends what it is. Like, I know there's been a couple of runs of like stuff on vinyl because vinyl had a resurgence. Mm. Yeah, it, it basically just depends on like what consumers are buying. As much as anything else with publishing, it's responding to what people want. So yeah, like it's fun occasionally to do it for like different publicity stuff for one title i got a really sort of creepy piece of music composed and when the publicity person was sending out sort of pr packages she included uh, mp3 players with that song on so that people could listen to it as part of like the experience of the box but that's very much that whole point it's just to get the air quotes influencers talking about like a certain product before it goes on general sale so yeah i'm not convinced that it will be a wide place thing but you know who knows one of the questions i wanted to ask you about is this you kind of previously mentioned that you think thrillers and ya work particularly well in audio book format but um i heard you mention that 
you prefer to read your romance novels in print. So I was just wondering if there's any particular genres that you think work particularly well in audiobook or are there any genres that you think work better on the page or do you think it just depends on the individual listener and the the book itself i mean there are definitely trends where they're kind of evergreen that they're always going to do well in audio um for is mainly because there is that next level of immersion having mm. a thriller playing your ears and reading it because the narrator isn't speeding up as you know your heart is racing and so it keeps that slow pace and you're not skipping any of the like details I know when I'm reading a thriller and I get to like a really intense scene my eyes are scanning across the page so quickly and I'm not taking every detail in because I'm just so intrigued to know what's going to happen next and also with gruesome scenes, it's so much easier to put down a book than it is to unplug your headphones <laughs> or listening to something. So I think that's why thrillers do well. And then stuff like nonfiction, it's more of the audience that like buys the books. They connect more with audiobooks as a whole. It's just their preferred way of listening. Um, so yeah, like smart nonfiction and thrillers are kind of like evergreens in audio, just because it's that combination of immersion such accessibility coupled with the main audio consumer of those products but then the rest I think it really is individual like some people love listening to romance and audio because they love having that immersion I'm much more of a I don't know with romance I just I, it has to just be me and the book mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds so dodgy <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with the dodgy interpretation of that either (laughs) all is good I think as well because like I'm very fussy when it comes to romance I get I cringe Mm -hmm. really easily and it's so much easier to enjoy reading a book in my own voice than having a narrator yeah I'm yeah I'm just really fussy when it comes to romance so I'm very selective with what I read and then because I'm so fussy if the narrator isn't what I want it to be, I'm just mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm, no, we're going to cringe listening to this. Yeah, but that's just a personal thing for me. Yeah, I'm glad you've now joined and it's not just me going, I just have this weird thing about, if people have been listening to our episodes from the start, they'll know that I say that a lot. So thank you for coming on here and joining in with that. I have a weird thing about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's got their like little quirks when it comes to like, yeah. what they like to consume. And I love romance. I love romance, but I'm so fussy when it comes to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so selective of like what I want my protagonist to be and what I want the hero to be like. And yeah, for someone who like really loves romance, I don't read much of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can be a bit like that with them um, with YA stuff. I don't know if you feel the same because obviously there is a there's kind of the prevailing thing that people think of when they think of YA because they think of things like Twilight and stuff like that. And they've made their own assumptions of what it means to be YA and what they think it is. And the truth is, like like all generalizations, there's a bit of truth. You will find one that is just exactly what you <laughs> what you imagined it to be, and it's not the sort of thing you go for. And then there's there's ones that aren't. So I'm a bit with you like that. I am a big proponent of YA. I love them so much. So many of my favourites do fall under that bracket, are certainly marketed under that bracket. But I can be picky with it and I can fall into the same traps that uh, I guess YA haters also do. of being like, ugh, no, <laughs> not for me. 
I think it falls into that thing when you love something, you just want it to always be its best. Mm, yes. <laughs> but saying that, like, I devoured the entire Twilight series, I think when I was like 16, over the course of one summer. And yeah. it was the book series that got my friend who never read a single thing to read. And then she went on and she went straight from Twilight into like romances, historical mm-hmm. romances aimed at adults and stuff that she would never in a million years would have read if she hadn't read Twilight. So I have such a soft um, soft spot for that book. Like it's, you know, technically it's absolutely terrible and that's fine <laughs> as a teenager. It's so good. It's just about the feelings and it's so ridiculous and that's what you want. And I would like stay up to like 2am reading it and I would not enjoy it now, but absolutely yeah. loved it so. yeah that is very fair and yes I don't want anyone listening to think that I am having a go at Twilight I'm not necessarily meaning <laughs> that I'm not I'm also not meaning that people read it and then make the assumption that all way is like that I'm meaning more sort of the people that when the adverts will come on on the tv they go oh it's that again um, and the assumptions that they make about what YA is and think that it doesn't have any substance and it's all just about um gushing over you know other people and things like that but it's more the assumptions that people make about twilight rather than twilight itself yeah i think the most vocal people against twilight are ones that have never read it and it's like why why do you hate this book so much but yeah it does reflect on why as a whole and i think a lot of people don't realize that some of the most progressive yeah stories are ya and they will take on topics that no other commercial imprint will take on mm-hmm. um because you know the younger generation they are way more open they're way more open when it comes to sexuality when it comes yeah. to gender when it comes to mental health and mm-hmm. that's what i really love about YA is it tackles those issues in a really sensitive way because you know you're writing for a younger audience and it never dumbs it down and yeah. I think Twilight is a good reference because people assume that's all that YA is, but it's yeah. kind of like, you know, there are good and bad romance books. There are good and bad literary fiction. Some of the stuff that gets loads of praises, I'm like, it's just bad. Yeah. It's a bad <laughs> story. It's just, it's not interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. And yeah, I'm I'm completely with you. So my... I would say it is my favourite book of all time and, you know, everything has got to do a good job of trying to beat that and hasn't managed to yet, um, is The Double Shadow by Sally Gardner, um, which was marketed as a young adult book. I love it so much. And as you say, it does tackle some really, really dark themes, you know, not least of which there is a rape in there that is not shied away from. It's, It's very open that that's what it is and it does take you through the effect that has on her and yet that's not something that should be confined only to adult books you know it's important for teens it's a teen character in there that experiences that and yeah it's serious there's there's lots of that doesn't often get appreciated is part of YA and the interesting thing about that is that they remarketed it as an adult book and so I obviously bought that and read that as well the only change I remember noticing was that in a scene where she is naked they describe the color of her pubic hair and in the young adult version, they do not. And it's sort of like they were looking for an excuse that this book they were publishing as adult had to be inappropriate for children. 
why do you need to know what somebody's pubic hair looks like? Well, you don't. Well, see, this is my theory. I mean, I'd love to speak to the people that did it, but my theory is that they needed something in the adult book that meant it couldn't be children's. It couldn't be classed as children's. Because when you boil it down, that YA book could have been classed as adult. Not as in inappropriate for children, but like I said about why I love children's books, they're not just for children. They're just books that are accessible for children. But they wouldn't have been able to market it as an adult book had they just not changed it at all from the children. So that's certainly the impression I got, was that they felt they had to add something explicit in there so that people who are against YA would go, oh, maybe, maybe I can read that. And yet actually they're reading the same thing they're getting the same amazing stuff out of it because it is an amazing book and that's I guess circling back that's the appreciation that YA needs it has a lot more in it than you think it does kind of following on from that a little bit is you know the other format I really enjoy is graphic novels and there's a lot of really mm-hmm. great YA graphic novels you know things like Nomura and the stuff that um Raina Magia does so I think when you're looking at YA it's kind of it's a target audience not necessarily a genre yes I think so um that, you know that's also quite interesting but I was um reading your publishing profile Rebecca and it mentioned that you kind of spent some time at um Forbidden Planet looking at comic books so I was just wondering if you've got any favorite comic books or graphic novels that you'd like to share with us uh so this is another area where I'm incredibly fussy <laughs> so when I'm picking up a graphic novel it's the art that I'm looking at like if I don't connect with the art I'm not going to connect with the story so yeah I like to be really choosy when I buy my graphic novels I think the one I've really enjoyed recently though is this one summer which is all about two girls I think they're just hitting that sort of awkward stage in puberty when you feel like an adult, but you also feel like a kid and they are friends purely because they go to the same uh holiday spot each year and it's just like nothing really happens in the book but it's just this really beautiful gorgeous like long hot summer story that centers around the friendship between the two girls and you've got one of the girls who is trying to be more older than she is due to how she's feeling with the relationships with her family she's trying to be more grown up and then you've got her other friend who's so comfortable with still being young and still being a child and still being considered childish and the sort of clash of those two different mindsets and yeah the benefits of both and the disadvantages of both and yeah it's just a really really lovely story matched with some really gorgeous art that just works and I want to be able to like linger on each page yeah especially because I read a lot of manga rather than like western stuff so when it comes to the western stuff it's just not the same for me (laughs) so I I have to go for stuff that I really 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 like whereas stuff that originates from Japan or Korea I read way more because I just love like the format and the artwork and the fact that it's a much bigger industry over there. Like there are publishers dedicated to them. Here, like even the biggest publishers, you're hard pressed to find like a graphic novel for them. And there just isn't that same understanding that it is a story. It's kind of like Mm. there is snobbery around graphic novels. There are people who assume that it's not reading, that it doesn't count because there is so much told in the imagery. So yeah, I think the West has a long, long, long way to catch up when yeah. it comes to graphic novels. 
particularly in the UK. Like I know America has a bigger graphic novel scene. I know that France has huge amounts of translated manga, but like the UK, it's slim pickings. It's slim Mm -hmm. pickings. We're getting really off the topic of audiobooks now, but it's kind of graphic novels is something I'm really passionate about. A podcast about, a blog about it. And we've got so many talented creators in this country. And it's a goddamn fucking shame that they're not given the opportunity to be paid for their craft in a way that I think is commensurate with their storytelling ability and it's something that upsets me a lot so um yeah the points you made there are something I I definitely agree with yeah I think it's the snobbery there's a real Mm. snobbery in the UK publishing industry and there are so many ways in which that affects people but yeah it definitely affects like the fact that graphic novels never really took off over here like I think I read my first manga when I was 16 and when I was 16 I felt like there was more, like the pickings were slim there, but there still felt like there was more on offer than there is now. And you do, you have to like go all the way to like a planet in order to have any chance mm-hmm. of finding something that you might be interested in. And if you like the stuff that's from Japan and from Korea, it's hard to find translations and legit translations you actually can buy and the money goes to the author rather than fan translations, which is essentially pirating the mm. work. So, yeah, I think it's snobbery. And I think that's very telling of the UK publishing industry as a whole. There is a lot of snobbery in it. And it's kind of really hindering its progress because they're just not aware of different perspectives and different ideas. Mm. It's me getting my soapbox now. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of the reason why I'm so excited about the upcoming 2000 AD. Oh, that's um, so good. Graphic novel. I've downloaded them on NetGalley. I haven't started listening to them yet. I'm quite nervous about it. Um, I want them to be really good. So I'm just kind of like preparing myself. I'm just going to say it'd be really, really kind because my friend produced <laughs> two of them and. Yeah he has put so much work into them i like so i've never read the comics before i just went straight for the audiobook i went straight for colin morgan because i love him um and i had a really great time with slaying the horn god like i'd never known anything about that comic before so i wasn't coming in with any preconceived ideas as a fan but there Mm -hmm. has been very nitpicky comments um and he's been working on those books for like three months and it's all originally composed music it's a full cast production it's full audio experience like it's very much the audio equivalent of a graphic novel I loved it it was so good yeah and I might have to actually spend my money on some of the others Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than get it off net galley (laughs) sounds like they're worth it though (laughs) oh they are yeah and as well, because I've worked with him on various projects before, he's an incredible mm-hmm. editor, he's an incredible producer, and he works silly o'clock in the morning um, <laughs> because he cares so much. And yeah, he's like the perfect person to do that project because he really cares about it. I think that's where really good art comes from. It's from people that just put everything into it and really care about what they're doing. And spend time and go that extra mile to make something that's really brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was wondering if you could tell us about a tricky decision or compromise that you've had to make when creating an audiobook. So, you know, maybe that's in compromising when you're adapting it from the page to the audio, or maybe just something happened, you know, a bit like you were talking about the pandemic and having to change some narrators and stuff like that. What's one that sticks out to you is where you had to yeah, make it a difficult choice? Oh, I don't think I really have. Mainly because I'm very, very good at convincing people why <laughs> to do your vision... way. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Perfect. My, yeah, somebody I work with quite regularly, I said to him, like, this has to be approved. So I'm just, I'm going to suggest it to them and I'm going to suggest it in a way that they'll just accept. And he's like, yeah, I've seen you do that before. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't think I've ever had to, really. Um, I've, yeah. Well, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, and, and I think that's a, a great message for us to be sending out. That's like, right, guys, if you know you want to be doing this job and you know you're good at this job, then you convince everyone else that you've got it right and uh, <laughs> and they do it your way. <laughs> yeah, so uh, definitely working on our powers of persuasion yeah. is uh, <laughs> quite important. I love it. Um, so <laughs> the last question I'm going to put to you is this. What podcasts are you listening to? Are there any podcasts out there that you think we should be checking out? And the second part of that question, what projects or audiobooks that are coming down the line that you want to let our um, listeners be aware of? Oh, gosh, the podcast question. So that's the thing about working in audio is that you don't actually get to listen to as much audio as you did mm. before you worked in audio because I'm often spending my free time reading the stuff that I'm going to be adapting so the only one that I'm listening to on a really regular basis at the moment is sleep with me I love it like I don't sleep very well and it's just a good podcast this guy has got the technique down he basically for an hour just rambles on in a very soothing voice and I tend to put that on before I go to bed and like within 10 minutes I'm out like a light so yeah, I would say, especially with the pandemic, I know a lot of people who have been struggling with insomnia, uh, 100% would recommend Sleep With Me. It's, yeah, it's just really well done. And it does what it sets out to do. It puts you to sleep. <laughs> uh, gosh, and then projects. This is where I'm like, what has come out? What am I working on? What, what are you allowed, allowed to, to talk about? about? <laughs> 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 the thing about publishing is you will never ever in the mindset of like the actual time you're thinking about stuff that's like a year ahead Mm -hmm. it's a bit of a head spin right let's see oh here we go this can never not be real it's one of the first way books i'm doing with egmont books and god it's heartbreaking it's this really well done story about a group of teenagers who get caught up in this horrific terrorist attack and it's just written so well there's such empathy in the writing there's such a kindness to the core message of the story and it's so like brutally human and gosh I had to like so I had to split the text up for all the different characters because it's written like I win this testimony and it's intersecting with each other so that you're getting all the different perspectives as it happens and I've cried so much prepping Aww. that book because it's it's just it's gut wrenching. Um, yeah. It's a really stunning book, and I think it's going to be really stunning in audio as well. Um, so I have a partnership with East Fifteen Acting School, where every year I 
audition their graduates and I put them on a casting list in case you know I have any projects that suit their voices and because of the ages of all the characters and because of the authenticity of the writing the whole cast is gonna be recent graduates and I'm very excited because they're really brilliant actors they put a lot of effort into the roles that they do um, and I've only had good experiences working with anyone from our school so yeah I think it's going to be a really special audiobook I think it's going to be a hard listen mm. but I think I think it's going to connect with the people that the author wants it to connect with yeah it's it's just like the story itself is so moving and the way that it's written allows me to do something a little bit different with the audio so it's kind of like such the perfect project for an audio editor to work on that sounds really exciting so that was uh what was the title of the book again this can never not be real and who is it written by so she's best known as birdie milano because i think she's done much younger fiction before okay but she's writing as sarah milano on this one when will that be out it will be out in april be out at the end of april okay that sounds very exciting rebecca thank you so much for yes thank um, you sparing your time on Sunday. I know kind of Sunday's a day of rest, so we're really grateful to you for uh, speaking to us. And that has been fun. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. I definitely have. Okay, and Rebecca, just finally, where can people find you if they want to look you up on the internet? Uh, I would say my very, very awfully named Twitter, which is at TWA2Becky. But, you know, just put my name into Google, my Twitter will come up. Because <laughs> I tweet a lot. Um, and I then have pinned to my Twitter links to my blog. If you're interested in learning more about publishing, I write a lot about how to get into publishing and how I got into publishing. And I'm very, very open to just chatting to people who are interested in audio and interesting as publishing as a whole. So like I mentioned previously, publishing is incredibly snobby and it needs to change. Amazing. True words have not been said. Uh, <laughs> True words. Um, thank you, Rebecca. That's it, guys. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. Bye.